Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another episode of the Moving to Live podcast and also the FitLab PGH podcast. As listeners know, if you've listened to us before, sometimes we cross-pollinate or interview somebody who makes a great guest for both FitLab PGH and Moving to Live. Both of our podcasts have the ethos, movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. FitLab Pittsburgh tries to highlight people who do great movement things in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Moving to Live tries to break down knowledge silos. And I think today's guest is well-suited for both podcasts. We're in the middle of starting week five, about halfway through week five of the Pittsburgh area of essentially being in social distancing. Schools are not in session other than virtually. And people across the world probably are very aware. It's very similar in various places. Today's guest is Doug Petrick. He is a cross-country track and field coach at Upper St. Clair High School, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's also a physics professor, and I think from what I've seen, he is probably the person that I have seen who uses Twitter to the best effect of anybody else. As soon as we're done with this, I need to find out some more Twitter Twitter tips from him. But I think if anybody can talk about the effect that it's had on a career on athletes that he's coaching. And also he's somebody who organizes a yearly uh, cross-country conference for high school coaches across Pennsylvania and in some cases in other states that he's been, I won't say forced, but he's had the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to realize that this is not going to happen face-to-face. This is actually going to happen on Zoom. So Doug, thanks for taking time to talk to FitLab Pittsburgh and Moving to Live. Oh, thanks. I'm really excited to kind of talk and connect and share a little bit about what we do. I think the first thing that's very interesting uh, to go over because I I find it fascinating. I actually have a podcast that came out the day we're recording today with a physician who is in Italy who has been in quarantine for over four weeks. When did you first find out that your job as a physics teacher and as a cross-country coach at Upper St. Clair that you weren't going to be going into work early morning every day? 
Um, so I want to say probably March 11th was when all this like hit in terms of at the high school. And I know earlier that week um, I had students asking, Hey, what's going on? Or we, you know, I heard we're not going to be here next week, but I, I believe the date might've been the 11th. Um, and our administration had, had said, you know, that the following week we would not be in school. And I think at that point it was just sort of a suspension through the middle of April. Um, so that being said, you know, uh, sports definitely weren't going to be happening um, during the suspension. Academics weren't going to be happening. And like, I want to tip my hat to the administration at Upper St. Clair High School because they were very proactive about like thinking and having a plan in place and not rushing to hurry up and do something to fill time. Um, and I had a feeling that we weren't going to go back. So we were doing distance learning, I want to say, for the last three weeks. Uh, but until we got the official word um, at our like department meeting, which was virtual, that you know we are not going back in the building, and you know the state for athletics and activities said we're we're done with that as well. I don't want to say I was in disbelief, but it, I just didn't process it. It didn't seem uh, that real. So until I think it was like last Thursday, um, that's when we got the official word. And you and I were chatting prior to starting recording, and I think I mentioned to you that I first started to take it seriously maybe four or five days before that, and March 10th or 11th was when I shut everything down too. I'm fortunate in that my real job is I teach online for California University of Pennsylvania, so my job per se hasn't changed that much. But I'm curious, prior to that March 11th, say a week before that or two weeks before that, where was the thought process or was there a thought process about COVID-19 in the Upper St. Clair School District as far as you as a teacher and also as a track coach where you're traveling all over Western Pennsylvania? Yeah. So um, I guess if we go back to the end of February, we were still in our indoor track and field season. So we were actually at uh, Penn State. We had, I believe, three athletes go to the state meet. And so it was the end of February. It wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't hitting the United States, but it was something that wasn't in the uh, public stream or um, in any of the media. And it, maybe I was naive, but um, I didn't know how it would impact us or if it was going to impact us. So I, I can only speak for myself just in terms of, when it first hit, you know, that week of the 11th or before the 11th, the beginning of March, um, I would see things come up on, on the news or in my Twitter feed. And really, I, I didn't know the magnitude of what it was until the following week. You know, we weren't in school and um, all the information that kept coming from that. So um, I just, I didn't have a lot of information about it at the beginning. So I didn't anticipate the magnitude it was going to have on everything in everyone's life. How long after the uh, March 11th, again, just for people who are listening, and I know it differs from state to state, were you aware that the track season was not going to continue or was going to cease to exist from that point forward? Yeah. So we were two weeks in, that was the end of the second week. And uh, the PIAA and the uh, WPIL just did a kind of like two week suspension of nothing. And, you know, on the way home, I want to see when I got home, my phone's blowing up and local coaches, I'm texting them, they're texting me. And, um, I guess different districts were handling it differently. Uh, some were just doing exactly what the PIAA said. Some were doing more than what they had said. Uh, but I don't want to say I was in disbelief, but it's sort of as more time 
went on. Initially, I thought we would go back and maybe we'd just have a district championship where they would modify the state meet. And probably about a week and a half ago, um, I just thought in my mind, it seems like this is just not going to happen. Um, part of that is, you know, a lot, the kids that we had that ran in college, I mean, their seasons were canceled at the beginning of March. And I was thinking, you know, if college is going to cancel and not have a season, it wouldn't make sense to me that a high school uh, sports season would still go on. I'm curious. I know you have a number of athletes who go on and run in college. What effect do you think that this is going to have on high school seniors now as far as getting recruited or getting, if they're good enough, getting scholarship money to go to college is the fact that they are not going to be able to run their senior year and run times that are potentially are PRs? Right. No, it's, it's going to impact a lot of kids. Um, I would almost even say kids that are juniors in terms of if they're track athletes, usually their junior year, whether a guy or a girl, those are the times that the uh, colleges use to recruit them their junior year in spring track. So yeah, they're going to be at a disadvantage. Um, some of the seniors we have that are going to run in college, they were in the process of sort of um, being proactive prior to that of, visiting schools, reaching out to schools, figuring out if, you know, running is going to work in their future with academics. So the seniors are missing their senior season. Um, but I almost want to say maybe the juniors are going to be track athletes. They're, you know, they they will have no times at all. And that's really what the colleges, uh, college coaches look at in terms of recruiting. We're talking with Doug Petrick. He is the track and cross-country coach at Upper St. Clair High School, as well as a teacher in the school district. Doug, the cross or the track season is canceled right now when we're doing this interview on April 15th. We really have no way of knowing when things are going to let up. What are you telling your athletes who are not seniors as far as what's going to happen? Or, or because you don't know, how do you express that to them? Yeah. Um, so when, when all this began to happen, I kind of reached out to a couple, uh, a group of kids that I had uh, cell phones and just asked them how they're doing mentally and are their families okay. So initially, I don't want to say I didn't care anything about the sport, but I just wanted to make sure, you know, we're used to seeing kids day to day. The kids are used to interacting with each other. And those connections, I mean, that's yanked away from an adult, it's hard, but for kids, a lot of them that kind of defines their peer groups and I didn't. I, I guess I should say I didn't really care about the athletics for probably uh, two weeks. I just wanted to make sure uh, number one they were following you know CDC guidelines, and if their parents did not want them to leave the house, they were doing that. So I you know I didn't want to talk sports or training with any of the athletes. Granted, my, you know my heart went out to them losing the season, but you know that being said, I, I feel like a lot of teams. Um, just the way things are structured, like a lot of the distance kids, we have a rhythm to what we do anyway in the fall and the winter and the spring, and even with the sprint groups. And, you know, most of those kids, we want them to move towards independence. So they, if, if they could safely run and if their families were okay with it, and if, you know, they're running by themselves, they would have a pretty good idea what to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so you know, initially I did, I, I did not care about anything other than just making sure they're safe and healthy and their families are okay. Um, but as we're kind of moving through this, I mean, in my mind, I would say for the track kids, the distance group is who I focus on and, and work with, you know, uh, they, they will be treating 
now, um, like track still going on. Um, and then whenever I'd say beginning of May, middle of May, you know, the, the next step for us and just how I feel would be act like we had a district meet or a state meet and maybe you take like five days off and recharge and refresh and think about your goals and then, you know, start shifting into the summer training. So like I would have, I would, the way I'm thinking through it is I'm just treating it like it's track season. Granted, they're not going to be racing in groups or having any races, but I think the training should reflect a, a track stimulus, if you will. I'm curious to kind of get into that a little bit. No more. I know as somebody who's a former triathlete and my idea of getting in the woods alone is kind of my refreshing, but I know, especially with distance running, distance running can be a little bit lonely and it, there's really a lot of camaraderie between team members. I know if anybody's ever read the book, once a runner that talks about it, hits on it very well. Uh, I see Doug smiling. He probably is surprised. I actually have read that book. <laughs> Great book. If anybody who's listening has not read it, but I'm curious, I know you've, you've worked with athletes how difficult do you think it is for some of these athletes who are used to running with the same four, five, six, seven runners every day to all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I can only run with mom or dad. Or if I'm fortunate enough to have a brother or a sister who also runs, I can run with them, but no more that great conversation that you can have on some of these distance workouts. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a challenge, but I think also it's an opportunity to frame it differently. I mean, if you're, if you have to run by yourself for the next four months, one way to look at it is, you know, woe is me, this, this stinks. The other way is you have four months or three months to really build good routines, uh, work in good habits. You know, um, you're not going to have access to a track. That's fine, but there's things that you can do. You can do rope stretching. You can work on strength and mobility. Um, you know, if you are able to get out on a trail, I mean, um, running is running and, you can get a really good aerobic stimulus on the track or you could get it on the trail or you could get it on your driveway or you know, on the roads in front of your street. But it, I think it's an opportunity to, I think you and I were talking about this at one point, like resiliency. Um, look at it as like you have the opportunity to run. There's a lot of people that aren't healthy. There's a lot of people that aren't safe that can't leave their confines of their room. You know, frame it as you, you have a chance to run if you're able to run. And, you know, don't look at the negative side of it. I think that's a great insight. I'm kind of curious about this and I may be putting you on the spot here. So please feel free to say I'm not going to even go in that direction. But I've been following you on Twitter and seeing the retweets that you do. And I noticed that a lot of high schools are doing something where every day or so they're honoring a specific senior athlete and just, you know, letting letting people know these are the highlights of these are the things that this person meant to the program, not necessarily look how fast this uh, boy or girl ran, but just more of, of what they did. And I see that kind of as a juxtaposition to, again, watching on social media, some of the adult runners who've had their spring marathons canceled, their spring uh, 10Ks canceled. And what I'm seeing from the high school students is much more of a, you know, this really sucks, but okay, I'm going to get through it. And a lot of the adult runners, it seems like they're not handling it that well. As somebody who is an adult runner, also coaches kids and has kids who, co who come back after they've matured into adults, any insight that you might have of why you see that dichotomy? Yeah, I, I would say with, with the young kids, um, I mean, if a kid's expressing that, I would say there's a role model, probably a parent, uh, it might be the coach on their team that kind of reflects getting to be active and getting to do a sport is 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 a privilege and not a right and it's it's something that 
if it's taken away, yeah, of course it's a bomber, but it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, is an adult runner, um, you know, I, I'm not, I didn't sign up for any marathon or half marathon or anything like that, but the way I'm just trying to think about my own running is, uh, spring, if you coach spring track or coach any spring sport, you know, I, co- I, co- I coach spring, uh, I have family, my wife works, you know, if three kids are active, I teach AP physics is when like AP test time is happening. So every spring, and I'm not complaining, it's usually when I'm not at my, you know, um, Uber best. I usually make very poor food choices. I usually pack on a little bit of pounds. I usually skip runs because I'm just beat up from being an invite. So like the way I'm looking at it now is um, my life is very simple right now. I mean, I'm still teaching. Um, I'm, I'm at home still being a dad and husband, but like I'm looking at what I get to do. And what I get to do now is I would say I'm probably healthier now than I have ever been in the last 12 or 13 springs because I'm able to get like a decent amount of sleep each night and recharge for my day. So for adults that are struggling with that, um, of, of course that is a bummer, but you know, you could contrast that with these healthcare workers who are on the front lines and, you know, trying to do something not for them, but for others. And they're putting their own lives at, at risk. So I'd say if you miss a race, it's a bummer, but it's, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, it, it gives you an opportunity to train for another six or eight months. I mean, you, you got to get past the issue and then I think you can move on, but you have to also focus on the, uh, the positive side of what this opportunity is going to give you. Cause it could give you really terrible things if you dwell on them and focus on them. I know there's often the tendency for people who are runners or any other athletes, whether they're high school, college, or postgraduate, or just recreational, you kind of get focused on, you run, you have to get your workout in, you forget about all those other things, the food choices, the sleep, the various things of controlling your stress, et cetera. You mentioned a few minutes ago that your your life is very simple now because it's a little simpler because you can't leave the house as often. Thinking ahead, and obviously this is subject to change, but when we, I won't say go back to normal because I think that's changed forever, but when we have a little more freedom to roam around a little bit, what things that you've done so far or that have happened to you so far, do you think you'll make an emphasis to carry on with you either as a professional or as somebody with with a wife and two kids? Yeah. Um, I mean, a bunch of things. I'll just give you a few of them. One is, is a family. I mean, we've gone on hikes, not, not with other people, with the people that live here. And it's been awesome to explore the township, some of the trails. I mean, my kids are having a a blast. Even, even our youngest one, uh, we've been doing these like hour long hikes or, you know, 80 minute hikes and nobody's really complaining to the end about how tired they are, but it's really cool to explore and see the outside. And, um, that's something that we haven't done enough of. And, you know, maybe part of that's just me not being available, being, you know, away or, you know, our work schedules or things like that. So that's, that's something I definitely want to focus on. The other one too is, and I always struggle with is just being patient about things, um, especially with my own kids, my family. Um, And and I, I think if nothing else, I'm really learning the value of being patient and um, that things aren't always going to be scheduled perfectly. And I try to pretend that I'm a super flexible, adaptable person, but you know, deep down inside when uh, I don't have a schedule or routine, it's, I struggle. Um, so 
I, I think also making sure that I stick to a schedule. Something as basic as like, you know, I'm eating my lunch at home. I'm trying to eat the same stuff that I would during the school year. Cause once again, like during summer as a teacher, I, I still coach, but, um, I don't have a firm schedule and usually my eating habits get bad. My sleep gets bad. So I've been trying to stick to like basic things like, uh, what I'm eating at lunch, uh, trying to make good food choices. And then also the whole idea that, um, getting sleep when I'm, when I'm cranky and I'm frustrated, sleep is usually the one thing that's just not happening. And it's interesting. I know you have three young kids. And just if you think back, you probably recognize when the kids are cranky, they probably need a, a nap. And it's it's not that different for us <laughs> as adults, even though it's it's typically been a badge of honor to say, oh, well, I only need four hours of sleep. And I think most of us, if we actually are honest, could use three to four hours more than that. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, during the school year, sometimes it gets to like five hours or six hours and there's just things that need done. But, you know, just from running, like I did a really good long run last Friday and I ran for me, it was long as like 8.6 miles. And I think I got like eight hours of sleep and Saturday I woke up and I was thinking, man, how, how in the world, how in the world this happened when you're doing like four or five, six hours. So, um, I, I'm, I'm just happy to bank sleep. And the thing is, Anytime I'm cranky or irritable or I have a short fuse, I'm either hungry or tired. So I've tried to pay attention to those essential needs. I think I, I don't remember who has said it, but somebody says that uh, when you're a baby, you worry about eating and sleeping and somebody takes care of you. And then when you're getting very close to death, hopefully at a ripe old age, it's almost like you're a baby again. Even those things in the middle of our lifespan, like you are and I, we sometimes forget, I think one of the positive things that you've taken away from this is the fact that, you know, there's some things that seem so simple, but they can really enhance the quality of life and your professionalism and just your ability to deal with different stresses. For, for sure. And, and another thing that I, I do rope, I do a lot of rope stretching. I do it like twice a day. Um, it's from Phil Wharton. Some of his routines are great, but I've tried to incorporate a few new things into that. And sometimes I rush through them. So Today was the first day that I really tried to go slow through them. Um, I have, I mean, I have the whole day. I still, we have a certain amount of time we're teaching and, you know, the kids are home and I'm trying to make sure that my wife's able to get her work done as well. But I think today was the first day where I actually went through them slow and I was thinking, you know, I need it. I'm going to keep doing this, but I need to keep doing it the right way. I'm curious with uh, what you've experienced after the last few weeks, probably going on over a month, how do you think this is going to change you coming back into the next school year as far as coaching in uh, cross country and then in track season? Well, um, nothing's going to be taken for granted. I mean, I don't want to say that we took anything for granted. Anybody took anything for granted uh, a year ago, but I'm going to feel like, you know, being in an invitational that lasts five, six hours, hey, you know, we're going to be loving it. Coach Shermack and I are going to say it's the greatest thing ever. You know, we, we have thought back in May and April that we would be able to do this. And I know there's going to be a different, there's going to be a different interaction between coaches and not that things were ever negative between different teams, but I think there's going to be a new level of humanity um, when everybody makes it through the other side. In, in all aspects, in the classroom, um, you know, we 
teach during the day. Then we have like office hours where kids can uh, interact with us through Google Hangout. And, you know, with some of the kids, they were asking stuff about a lab we're doing. And, you know, they and I, we just talked about like the face-to-face interaction is really, it's a bummer. And uh, we're, we're doing the best of what we can, but those daily interactions of hello and goodbye and small talk and how are you doing and, you know, what's coming up and how was your birthday between adults and kids? I mean, that's that's not going to be taken for granted. Not that it ever was, but it, it's going to be valued. Maybe that's a better way to say it. it's going to be valued a lot. We're talking with Doug Petrick. He is the uh, cross-country coach and track coach at Upper St. Clair High School, as well as a physics teacher. I'm curious, switching gears a little bit, uh, you obviously are not going into the school anymore because for the foreseeable future and you're teaching from home. How prepared on the teaching aspect were you to switch to an online environment? And what do you see as the one or two positives? You've already touched a little bit on the negatives as far as not having the day-to-day interactions and and, uh, just really, for lack of a better term, small talk with the students. Yeah. So um, how prepared was I? So the two classes I teach have five total classes, but um, we'll talk about both quickly. So one is AP Physics 1, and with that one, it's an algebra-based physics course. But we've been using, I've been using in that class an online textbook that has an online, uh, we have reading quizzes and online homework. So that wasn't that big of a departure. I've been doing that for at least a decade. So uh, prior to us physically leaving the building, I told the kids when they're asking questions, hey, whatever happens, we're in a good place everybody's used to, you know, logging on and doing stuff. It's just, I'm not going to be physically there to help you out. There's lots of like ancillary items with a product that we use for that. So I want to say I I felt comfortable. I mean, granted, big learning curve, but it, to me, I was sort of like, we're almost done with the content anyway. Um, So it wouldn't be this big new thing that I had to learn Uh, for conceptual, which is just not as rigorous, you know, lower level, not a lot of math. Uh, great kids, though. With that, I do a lot with um, my class. I don't lecture for the whole time. I might talk for 10 minutes. We do a demo. We watch a video clip for five minutes. They do an activity. They share. Like I, I, I don't like just talking to the class the whole time. And it's I try to make it as interactive as possible. So probably about like three or four years ago, which I'm sure other teachers do as well, I started using like Google Forms as kind of quick ways to, um, you know, kid finishes one thing, you can move on to this next thing where it would have like a video they would watch, a couple of questions is a Google Form. Um, and then what they could do is they could work at their own pace. So, but they were used to going into our, our school district has this thing called Canvas. It's an online platform where you have all your courses, the agendas and so the kids in conceptual, they were also used to accessing things online. Um, but I, I told them before the week ended, before we left, whatever happens, it's not like we've never done things online. I'm just not going to be there. It's going to be a little bit different, but you're, you're going to be in a good place. So I, I didn't feel a lot of apprehension about it. I just knew it was going to be different, but our administration was great about kind of not lowering the bar, but like face to face, you can do this. And you're not going to be face to face and it's not an ideal situation for you. It's not an ideal situation for students. So, you know, have this expectation, whatever it is, you just have to like reframe it. And that was awesome to hear because it sort of 
it alleviated a lot of stress that I might have felt that uh, I can't deliver exactly what I'm doing in the classroom. But I mean, that's everybody's dealing with that. And people that aren't teaching are dealing with things that are way more challenging. I'm curious, just as an aside, I know a lot of universities are giving students the option through the semester until a few days afterwards to rather than take a letter grade, take a pass fail grade. Is that something that the Upper St. Clair School District has done or are they still going with uh, standard grading as they normally have done? It's a modified uh, grading schedule, so it's not pass fail. And, you know, it's I, I I teach, you know, I don't, I don't vote on those things or decide those things, but to me, it's, it was looked like a very reasonable way to like reframe things that it's, it's not exactly the same thing, but given the situation and the amount of time, I, I think it makes sense. And I think it's fair to the kids and the families too, and the teachers. We're talking with Doug Petrick. We've talked about his coaching and how that's changed and been kind of put on hold to some extent, more of a life coach now with his athletes as opposed to a track coach of distance runners, how it's changed, but not so much changed his teaching schedule. And one of the reasons I originally planned to have Doug on uh, FitLab PGH is Doug does a really great coaches conference every spring for cross-country coaches. And for those of you who are athletes, and if you were fortunate enough to run cross-country, a lot of times cross country doesn't really get the attention that other sports get. So I know Doug had a couple of great speakers last year, one from California, actually two from California, one from California University of Pennsylvania, and one from the state of California. And when they first announced everything was closing down, I was curious what to see. And I'm happy to see that Doug is moving this to a global, I'm not going to say virtual because it's actually going to be happening, but it's going to be over the internet. Doug, I think first of all, why did you decide to have a coaches conference? I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past. And then what was your first uh, thought when you found out that school was going to be closed and you were not going to be able to be on the Upper St. Clair campus in probably in June? And, and then you made the decision to say, we're going to take this into an online environment. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, we did one last year. And the idea behind the conference, the clinic is I want to give coaches, high school coaches or even, you know, middle school coaches, college coaches, I wanted them to have the opportunity to interact and learn from somebody that's kind of like outside of a local, um, you know, driving 30 minutes. So uh, whether that would be if you're a high school coach, a collegiate coach, or if you're a high school coach, it would be a coach from another um, state that's successful. So we did it last summer. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Um, great feedback. Uh, the speakers were amazing. And so we had planned to do another face-to-face -face one, and it's uh, it was scheduled for June 26th, which is a Friday. Um, three speakers we had we had lined up were um, Dennis Parker, who is a coach. He's from Minnesota. He's kind of unique in terms of he coached at the uh, post-collegiate level and the collegiate level, and in Minnesota now he's coaching at a high school level. It's Nova Classical Academy. He's very successful. He's worked with post-collegiates. That was kind of like we did a survey last year. You know, what did the attendees want? They wanted somebody who had post-collegiate experience. Uh, the second speaker that we were going to fly in was Paul Vandersteen. He's from Neuqua Valley in Illinois. I mean, phenomenal coach. Uh, he's had his high school guys team. Um, they've gone to Nike Cross Nationals. Uh, they won it once. Chris Derrick, professional runner, is one of his former athletes. So we're going to bring him in. And then also, um, attendees last year had an interest in learning from 
a physical therapist or somebody that works with runners. It's not um, just strictly a coach. And so we have Kelly Kuhn from uh, Kelly Kuhn PT, her uh, website, she's a physical therapist. She's amazing. She works with runners. So we were going to have face-to-face, those three people were going to come to Upper St. Clair High School. Uh, we we're going to meet, you know, um, they would lecture, each lecture twice, Q&As, um, meet and greet, the whole nine. Um, so in a perfect world, that was going to still happen. So are you okay if I go into the whole story behind it? I think it's interesting because I know yeah. in, the, in the fitness world, in the physical therapy world, in the teaching world, people are going, what do I do? And I know, for example, one of my conferences is canceled already. One of them we're still waiting to hear. And I know a lot of local and regional ones have said we're going online or we're using Zoom or another platform. So I think people who are listening, it may not be the exact situation they're in, but it may also be helpful to them to figure out this is another way of doing it, kind of breaking down those knowledge silos that Moving to Live does. Sure. Yeah. So, um, the beginning of March, March 11th, you know, we're out. It's kind of, I think that weekend I got invited on Twitter, you know, just by circumstance, somebody I follow is uh, coach Demetrius Clark from Indiana. And he and I, and I think like five other coaches, they're all sprint coaches. He just invited me to a zoom. So it was kind of cool. Never done it before. Downloaded the app on my phone, probably five minutes before we did it. it was a lot of fun. So then I started thinking it ended I'm laying in bed. I'm thinking, you know what? Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the next month. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to do the face to face. And then, you know, we travel restrictions. Um, and then I was thinking, even if travel restrictions are lifted, I don't want somebody to miss the event because they're worried about, you know, um, traveling and health and safety. So that week I reached out to the speakers and I said, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, perhaps using Zoom. Are you okay with it? And they gave me some feedback and it was all positive feedback. And so I wanted to try to do my own Zoom before the clinic. So I hadn't publicly announced it. So on Twitter, probably the beginning of April, maybe the end of April, middle of April, I can't remember, uh, middle of March, I just tweeted out, hey, does anyone want to, you know, uh, listen to a presentation? I did five principles that helped our distance program improve. I thought maybe I get like 10 people so I could just try it, see if it works. And I think I had about 45 or 50 people that um, were in the zoom. And some of the people that are in the zoom, like Joan Hunter from Luden Valley high school in Virginia, uh, Dave Frank from Oregon, uh, Adam Kedge from out. I mean, there are these phenomenal coaches that just wanted to connect in here. And I'm thinking to myself, if these studs, if these, you know, these awesome, phenomenal coaches, high school coaches want to hear, you know, little old me talk about something, then there is a need for coaches to connect and listen and learn um, virtually. So that was fantastic. I, I organized another one because I upgraded my Zoom account. I kind of wanted to play around with the features. So I had uh, Dennis Barker, Paul Vanderstein, who are speaking at the clinic, uh, Scott Bliss from Vermont, who whose girls won the cross-country state title every year in the last decade. And then Jeff Pernum, who's a phenomenal coach in Illinois as well. So I wanted to do one where I would be the host, kind of like a moderator and I'd have four speakers. So wanted people to learn. The other thing is selfishly, I wanted to see if I could do the Zoom without screwing it up. So it it worked out. I think we had at one point like 85 people in the Zoom. Um, 50, I think the minimum people were popping in and out. 
but it was awesome and I was able to record it. And once again, the, the need was there that told me, you know what, there's a need there for coaches to connect. And so after that, actually at the end of that, I, I, um, you know, announced, Hey, we're, you know, the face to face is no longer going to be face to face. It's going to be virtual. And the positive with that is, um, the overhead has decreased. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, buying plane tickets. Uh, the hotel rooms don't, we don't need those. We're not feeding people. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm, I'm using zoom to stream it. Um, Eventbrite is through the restoration. So I posted last night, I already have tickets sold, which was crazy. I was getting alerts, uh, in the morning, you know, tickets were selling. Um, and the way that I'll push out the booklet is it'll be a PDF. So they'll get it through an email or there's a place on Eventbrite where they could pick it up there. And then I've been toying around with people that uh, can attend or people that can maybe only attend part of it because it's going to be Friday, June 26. It'll start at quarter 11 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. And it'll run until about 4.30 in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. I played around with using a Dropbox to record it and share it. I played around with Vimeo, uh, making password protected. So I, once again, how do you frame the situation right now? I'm framing it as people still want to connect. People still want to learn. And so I want to make sure that I still provide that service. And then also uh, I'm taking advantage of forcing myself to be comfortable with the technology and learn it. And, you know, there's always a little bit of apprehension last night when I went live, you know, am I going to screw this up? Is it not going to work? And then it's like, you know, when are you ready? You're never ready. So if it's going to help people, you just do it. And that's the way it goes. So the conference is still going to happen. We're hoping there may be some face-to-face -face option, but no matter what goes on in the world, it is possible to register and see it through Zoom and potentially see a recording of it afterwards. Is that correct? For sure. And it's, you know, with everything being, uh, financially challenging now too. I mean, it's, it's like $14 and I think like 36 cents, which to me, I think is, you know, for the here three, like really awesome speakers and connect with others and, and, and learn, you know, I, I hope that's a reasonable, I hope that's, I, that's a reasonable value. I mean, I, I pay it, but you know, I'm, I'm a little bit biased. I just, there's a need for it. I want to help people. And, it expanded. I mean, I, on those two zooms I talked about, there were people from all over the country, Texas, Florida, Kansas, Missouri, you know, I'm getting like DMS from North Dakota. It was just really cool to see how social media has a very positive interaction quality to it. I think one of the things that people might not be aware of also is you have the potential to literally get people from all over the world. I know with the Moving to Live podcast, when I started, I never expected to interview people all over the world. But literally through the wonders of Zoom, you could have somebody in Australia or Singapore attending your conference and you never know the next year, they may be a speaker for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, you're, you're hitting it right on the head. It's, it's the connections that you're making that really help push things forward for the sport and for movement. And it's just cool to see that kind of stuff grow. We've had the good fortune to be talking with Coach Doug Petrick. He is a track and cross-country coach at Upper St. Clair High School, a physics professor, physics teacher at Upper St. Clair High School. And I think he's had some excellent insight on 
I think the correct word is adapting to our current situation. And I wanted to get him on here to talk about that because I've got a lot of respect for the way he coaches his athletes and the way he approaches uh, athletics and academics. And I also wanted to give him the opportunity to talk about his conference, which is coming up. Uh, Doug, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to both Moving to Live if you're in the Pittsburgh area or you're not and you're not following him on Twitter, you're mi missing some interesting and at times amusing tweets. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, any, if anybody's interested in uh, the conference, once again, the date it's, it's Friday, June 26th. Um, the way it'll work, you can get the information from me on Twitter. So that's at Doug Patrick one. Uh, you can also follow our clinic Twitter account that is at clinic USC XCTF. And the way it'll work is um, you go online, you follow us, uh, you'll go to a link that's in my bio. It's also on the clinic bio. And if you click on it, it'll take you right to Eventbrite. And all the details are there. Uh, the way it'll work is you will sign up. It's The cost is $14.36. Um, It'll be on sale. You know, we can accommodate many people. It'll be on sale probably up to a week before the event happens. And we have three presenters. Once again, Dennis Barker from uh, Minnesota, phenomenal coach, worked with post-collegiates. Now he's coaching high school athletes. Paul Vandersteen from Niqua Valley uh, High School, which is in Illinois. He's had uh, teams go to Nike Cross Nationals and a team win the whole thing. And then a very amazing physical therapist, uh, Kelly Kuhn, who's really helped a lot of our runners still health, stay healthy and injury-free. And so we'll stream the event. It'll be on uh, Zoom. You'll check into the event between uh, 1045 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. And the presentations will start at 11 and we'll go through. We'll do Q&A through chat. Each presenter will talk for about 70 minutes. And then we'll have a 25-minute Q&A. We'll uh, field questions through the chat. Uh, we'll have five-minute breaks after each speaker, is, and then we'll wrap things up around 4.30. We're also going to have a PDF that will have all the clinic notes, um, the slides all the presenters have. So that would be another uh, really good takeaway where you can maybe print it out or just look at it as they're talking. And then we also plan on recording um, each of those three lectures uh, so that you'll be able to look at them in the future or if you're somebody – who's not able to watch all three at once live, um, you'll be able to check them out on your own. Great information from Doug Petrick. We'll have all that information also in the show notes. Doug, thanks again for taking time to talk to FitLab Pittsburgh and Moving to Live. Thanks a lot, Ben. Always great to talk to you and I enjoy listening to your podcast. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving. <laughs>